Banks had been around for thousands of years. Its earliest form appears in ancient records of people trading goods with each other. The first formal banking system appeared in medieval Mesopotamia where lending activities took place in temples and palaces. This was way before coins or currency were in existence. So they didn't lend money then. They lent people seeds and grain. Farmers borrowed from these institutions and when they harvested, they paid back the seed or grain they loaned. Merchant banks came into being during the medieval period. These banks still dealt with crop loans but now also provided credit for funding commercial exploration along the Silk Route. The first proper banks appeared during the 17th to 19th century in London. These banks became very important institutions during the Industrial Revolution. Banks as we know them today sprung up in the 20th century and retail banking became a common business feature of banks. Banks today are notorious for their shrewd, some might even say, heartless way of doing business. But they are very open and willing to lend money to those who don't need it, at least they have that good side. So we're not really talking about these banks. We'll talk about my bank. It's a bank that is open 24 times 7 have a great range of products for its clients, and have excellent customer response. Your present bank is nothing compared to this bank. Let's talk about my bank in the light of this story of a rich young man who came to Jesus and didn't beat around the bush to get to the answer of a very important question that many people today must also be asking, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Luke recognized this young man as a ruler, a word that can also mean chief, prince, magistrate. This important and lesson-laden incident is recorded in the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew 19.16-22, Mark 10.17-22, and Luke 18.18-23. That in itself is remarkable because among rich young people today, eternal life might be the last item in their wish list. The man was raised up well by his parents, and had lived a respectable life, yet he still felt something was lacking in all that he was doing. He didn't have that inner assurance from his heart that if he died, he would find himself in heaven. So Jesus told him to obey the laws of Moses. He replied that he had been observing that since he was a boy. Jesus turned to look at him in the eye and with love, gave him the complete formula, saying, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. If you want to be perfect. Dash the word perfect as used here means complete. My article titled, I'm perfect. You can be, do. Talks about this in detail. Thus, Jesus was practically saying to this young man, if you want to be complete, i.e., lacking nothing, and getting rid of that empty feeling, you will have to deal with the obstacle that keeps you from following me. You have the desire, but do you have the will? Are you willing to pay the price to become complete? Sometimes or perhaps most of the time, spiritual completeness can mean offloading what hinders our spiritual walk. Just as how a sculptor would shape his masterpiece, chipping away at a rock, perfection is attained when there's nothing left to remove. Go and sell that thou hast. Dash the word be before perfect means to lead oneself under, withdraw or retire. The Lord was telling him, go in retreat, in retrospect, and make an inventory of what you need to unload yourself of. Sell here, as trade, barter. To be perfect in God, we must give up what we consider our personal valuables, and exchange it for what we need from God, or for what God knows we need. In barter, we let go of something we don't need or need less, in exchange for something we really need. This man's personal obstacle was earthly riches. Jesus wanted him to quit being enslaved to earthly wealth so he will be rich in heaven. We need God's presence, protection, peace, joy, anointing, power, grace. Now we should consider what we are willing to give away in exchange for these. For his presence, we give time. For protection, we give our self-confidence. For peace, we let go of anger. For joy, we let go of sadness. For his forgiveness, we release forgiveness to others. 
For anointing, we let go of unholy thoughts. For power, we throw off those things that weaken. For His grace, we cast off the pride of life. The world's greatest barter occurred on an obscure hill named Calvary when the pure and sinless Son of God traded His life for all the world's filth, depravity, wickedness and sin. And give to the poor. Dash the word poor here means beggar. We know that giving money to beggars is against the law, because it only serves to encourage their mendicancy, make them continually dependent on others, promotes laziness, and will not motivate them to indulge in any economic activity that can improve their lot in life. So who are the beggars Jesus is referring to? If you've ever asked God for anything, that's what makes you want. All believers are beggars. So has a writer aptly stated about Christianity, that it is just one beggar showing another beggar where to get the bread. The Bible reveals every believer has a glorious status in Christ. We are more than conquerors, overcomers, co-heirs with Christ, victors, soldiers of the Lord of hosts, anointed ones, saints of God, children of God, friend of God, etc. Yet we will never be able to lift ourselves from the status of one who is utterly dependent on God for his grace, mercy, help, and provision. And such a person can only be a beggar. If we are all beggars, what was Jesus then telling this rich young man? He was saying, what you get out of your barter with me will be vastly more than what you'll give up. Share your wealth with your brethren. That is why Peter exhorts us in 1 Peter 4 to 8 to 11 to have fervent love for each other because love covers a multitude of sins. The word fervent here, means intent, without ceasing, and a gape love that is willful, selfless, limitless, bottomless, and unconditional. This is the foundation of all Christian service. If there is no willful intent in our mind to serve the brethren and to do them good, all we ever do for Christ has no value in eternity, because it means that what we've achieved on earth are all for our own selfish gain. Peter goes on to enumerate the ministries of hospitality, that it should be done without grudging or done half-heartedly, one part of the heart willing, and the other part against it. He says, as every man hath received the gift, charisma, minister the same one to another. This is synonymous with what Jesus told the rich young man. We do this as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Dash when we do these, we shall have a deposit slash wealth in heaven. We can only withdraw from the bank what we already have deposited with them. Remember that God always gives more than what we trade with him. The Bible reveals that in Luke 6:38, give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Can you see that? We always reap more than we sow. Because he gives more than what we bartered with, we have an excess supply. That excess supply is supposed to be used to minister to others, not to be hoarded and kept in your heavenly bank account, or spent in lustful things that do not advertise Christ. Also, when we use our personal talents and gifts in ministry, we get additional credit slash deposits in our account. Now when do we withdraw or claim such deposits? First of all, all deposits in any bank, anywhere, always will earn interest. This is what God refers to as increase. Now whenever you have any need for those items in your heavenly account, you will always have more than sufficient amount because of the increase. This is consistent with the law of sowing and reaping. When a situation comes that requires your patience, for example, you draw on your account of patience and long-suffering. The wonderful thing about my bank is there is also what I call a heavenly rewards program. Each time you withdraw or deposit, you get reward points that you can use for later, at the Bema seat of Christ. A bank's good customer always gets preferential treatment from his bank. And come and follow me. If we would ask Christians about the meaning of Christ's words follow me, the answer might be about obeying the word of God, studying his life, 
going to church, reading the Bible, praying, evangelizing, etc. The GK word follow is be in the same way with. It means to have the same set of values, same mindset, same attitude, same outlook that Jesus has. It does not necessarily mean to physically copy Christ, but primarily to internally resemble him in character, because once that happens, he is manifested externally in our lives. This is the result of the process described above, when we trade with him, then use the excess of what we receive to minister to others, and use the deposit to minister some more. This is what Jesus did. He traded the glory of heaven for the ugliness of a fallen world. He traded omnipotence with human weakness. He traded the songs of the heavenly choir and of the stars with the shouts, insults, and blasphemies of sinners. He traded joy in the presence of the Father and the Holy Ghost with the miseries, diseases, and infirmities of mortal men. He traded his honor with the shame of the cross. And for all these, the Savior lodged a vast deposit of love in the bank of heaven. He owns it now. When the time came for him to face the cross of Calvary, he drew on the whole amount of love from the Father's account to complete his mission, to face all the insults and physical abuse, to be able to climb that sordid hill and yield his body to his murderers. If every believer alive today would be in the same way with the way and the truth and the life, the bank of heaven would be so delightfully busy. I know this pandemic has not caused the bank to slow down, on the contrary, it has driven lost souls to introspect about how fragile life is, and caused them to ask themselves like that rich young man in our story, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Would you like to open an account? At Jesus' dying moments on the cross, only one repentant thief got saved, but that was enough for the moment. He could have saved all of those who were on the hill that day if he did what they taunted him to do, by coming down from the cross, Matthew 27:40. But he didn't do it for three reasons. One, because God cannot be tempted. Two, because God is not obligated to prove his deity to man. Whether we either accept or reject him, he remains to be God. And three, he would fail in his mission of redemption for all humanity. What about you? If you died in your sleep tonight, where will you find yourself in eternity? I would greatly encourage you to open your own bank account in the bank of heaven. Once you are enrolled, you are automatically a recipient of eternal life, and you immediately get a welcome deposit in your account, enough for you to spend your entire life on. But there are conditions. Jesus' life of obedience to the Father welded scripture into one solid message, the love of God. That very love was demonstrated to the world 2000 years ago, when he took upon himself the punishment that you and I deserved. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 8. Opening an account in the bank of heaven requires you to make a commitment to Christ. That means entrusting your life to him for him to rule, guide and change. For I know the purposes which I am purposing for you, says the Lord, purposes of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29 11. I invite you to pray this short prayer of faith, which you can speak out from your heart to God. He sees your heart today, and will respond according to how truthful and trusting you are. Say this out loud. Lord, I realize I stand as a sinner before your sight, and that there is nothing I can do to pay for my sins. But I believe Jesus Christ is your Son who came to the world, and gave his life as a ransom and payment for my sins. I believe he died, rose again the third day, went to heaven, and will come back again very soon, for me and all his children. Please forgive me of all my sins. Wash my heart clean with the blood of the Lamb of God. And now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my ruler, Lord, and Savior. Help me to live for you from today and forever. Thank you, Lord for forgiving me and accepting me. Amen. If you sincerely prayed that prayer, the Bible guarantees you are saved and insured. Read your Bible and pray every day. Contact me and let me know if you've made that all-important decision. 
so I can help you grow in your faith and keep your bank account growing. Did you enjoy this issue? Share it with others so they will be blessed, too. Until our next issue, God bless you.